Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. In many ways, in many ways, not entirely complete ways, but in many ways, we live in a research-based, experience-based, expert-based society. If we have questions about something, we don't want to just go to some Joe Schmo down the street to give us the answer. We want the leading authorities to answer our questions, right? If it's a medical question, a, a health question, a policy question, a safety question, a security question, we want the leading authorities' opinions. We see it in medicine, we see it in media, we see it in politics, we see it in the government, we see it in city planning, we see it all over the place. Our nation endured a terrible tragedy this last Sunday in Las Vegas. A terrible, horrible display of evil unleashed. And you better believe that hotels and event planners around the United States of America, they are seeking advice from the leading authorities on safety and security because they want to know how they can prevent such a tragedy from ever happening again. We seek out the leading authorities because we have big questions and we want answers to those questions. We want good answers. We want reliable answers. We want answers that we can implement and answers that work. Answers that are based in experience and expertise and in research. It's why we have places like the FDA and so many other uh, institutions that regulate things. Those institutions, they implement the answers to huge questions based on the leading authorities. Now we could take that whole sort of line of thinking, that sort of thought process, and we could apply it to the church. We could apply it to St. John's. We could apply it to us right here as we worship together as God's people this morning. And so I have a question for you. Do you want to grow spiritually? Raise your hand if you want to grow spiritually. And when I say, do you want to grow spiritually? I mean, do you want a deeper connection with God? Do you want a vibrant connection with Jesus? Do you want to grow in overcoming your temptations and your struggles with sin? Do you want to build healthy relationships with the people that God has placed in your life? Do you want to have more hope for your life? In the midst of anxious and trying times, do you want to grow spiritually? I saw you. you most of you raised your hands except for that one guy back there. No, <laughs> Just kidding. I have a feeling that if you're here today, you want to grow spiritually. Well, I've got an answer for you. I've got the answer for you from the leading authorities out there. There's an organization called Go Tandem, and they spent seven years studying over 100,000 people in 20 different countries, and they found the answer of how to grow spiritually. Of the 100,000 people that they surveyed, they look at their words, they look at their behaviors, they look at their actions, they look at their church attendance, they looked at their musical preferences, they looked at all sorts of things in these people's life. And there was one clear consistency among all of those people who were growing spiritually. And that one clear consistent thing, that one clear behavior, 
It was stronger and more influential than church attendance, though that was important. It was stronger and more influential than tithing, though that was important. It was stronger and more influential than joining a small group, though that is important. All of those things are great, but the one thing, the one thing that stood out and is really at the core and really all of those other things are a manifestation of those best practices, the one factor that had the biggest impact on growing spiritually in our lives is this. Engaging the Word of God four times a week or more. People that engage it three times a week, they kind of stagnate. People that engage it four times a week or more, they grew spiritually. Five or six or seven times a week, they grow even more. It was statistically proven. And what do they mean by engaging the Word of God? They put out three, three R's. And you might want to write these down. This could help you. Three R's. Receive, reflect, and respond. People that engage the word four times a week or more, that they, they receive the word, meaning they hear the word or they read the word. They reflect on that word, meaning they, they study it, they ask questions about it. They say, like good Lutherans, what does this mean? And they respond. They respond to that word in some way. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's coming to church. Maybe it's joining the choir. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's being part of a small group. Those are all manifestations of responding to the word in some way. When we engage the Bible four times a week or more, we are guaranteed 100% to grow spiritually. That's what the leading authorities say. And the reason that it's true, the reason that it's true is because God's word then becomes the leading authority for our life. And his word informs us, it leads us, it empowers us, it guides us, it frees us, it renews us, it recreates us and redeems us every day. Now if we go back 500 years, we go back to Martin Luther, we go back to him during the time of Renaissance humanism, and the battle cry of this time period was the Latin phrase ad fontes, which means back to the sources. And when they applied that to Christianity, it meant going back to the Bible, going back to the scriptures. You see, every building, this building included, is built on a foundation, right? But the building itself is never the foundation. And the more stories that you add to a building, the more additions, the more upgrades, the more floors, the farther you get from the foundation, the less stability you have. Humanism said, we've got to go back to the foundations. In many ways, humanism says, humanism said, we've got to tear down some of these buildings and rebuild them, rebuild a stronger edifice truly aligned upon the foundation. And Luther, influenced by his culture in the day, that was his story. He began engaging the Bible, engaging the Word of God, receiving that Word, reflecting upon that Word, responding to that Word daily. And toward the end of his life, when people said, look at all these things that, accomplished, that were accomplished through you, Luther, he said these powerful words. He said, I did nothing. The Word did everything. I did nothing. The Word did everything. And the very first thing that the Word did for Martin Luther was that it freed his tormented conscience. 
And he found in the scriptures, he found a loving father. He found a gracious savior. He found the power and fire of the Holy Spirit. He went back to the foundations. He rebuilt his faith. He reformed the church. And the church grew spiritually. We read just a moment ago from 2 Timothy. St. Paul writing to young Timothy, a young pastor. He said in verse 14, he said, But as for you, young Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In the scriptures, not in tradition, not in humanity, not in religiosity, not in ritual, but in the scriptures alone, sola scriptura, Luther found salvation. Salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone. And you see, it wasn't just a knowledge of the scriptures that changed Luther, just not a cognitive, academic ascent. It was Christ Jesus, the living word of God. He's the key to the scriptures. We were reading in John chapter 5 a moment ago, and John chapter 5 is this kind of authority, power struggle. The Jewish leaders are questioning Jesus' authority. And although these Jewish leaders, they had studied the scriptures academically, cognitively, they knew the scriptures in and out. But they were so enamored with control and with power and with their own authority, they could not see how clearly the scriptures narrowed down and pointed directly to Jesus. So Jesus said to them, John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And here we see that very intimate connection between the scriptures and Jesus. The scriptures are the written word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. And Luther said that, all of scripture, scripture points to Christ, and whenever you would cut the Bible, it bleeds the blood of Christ. And that liberating authority, that liberating blood, that liberating redemption came into Luther's life, and it spurred him on. It spurred him on to go back to the foundation. It spurred him on to build a new building upon a foundation of the word. And because of that, he began to translate the Bible into the German language so that the common people could read the word on their own and not have to rely on the priests. It sounds crazy, but in Luther's day, there were many men who were killed. They were murdered because they were trying to translate the Bible outside of the authority of the church. It sounds crazy to us, but it happened. But Luther experienced the power of the word. He translated into German. He wrote the small catechism so that everyone, parents, children, boys, and girls, that was huge for women's rights at the time 500 years ago, young girls learning the word of God, being educated, learning how to read, because he wanted everyone to experience the power of the word of God. And Luther utilized technology. He utilized the printing press. The word of the Lord grew and was printed and went forth. And the Reformation spread like fire across the Western church. Authority was reformed. So we fast forward 500 years to today. 
And we have to ask ourselves, do we need a reformation for our lives? Does the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod need a reformation? Does the church universal need a reformation? Do we need a reformation of authority? Do we need a reformation of the place of the word of God in our lives? And if so, what does it look like? Will it look the same as 500 years ago? Will it look different? Will there be some combination? I'm pretty sure that some of you in the room here today, you don't trust the Bible. You've heard a lot of stories out there. I want to encourage you. Your relationship with the Bible is like a relationship with a human being. You will never learn to trust another human being unless you spend time with them. For most of us in the room, we want to grow spiritually. We all raised our hand except for that one guy in the back. We hear this idea of engaging the word four times a week, and we think, yeah, I'm going to do this. We can do this. But often, like New Year's resolutions, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is its weak. Well, let me tell you what the leading authorities say about changing and about behavior, about adopting something new into your life. The leading authorities out there on change and behavior, they give you three, an acronym. It's M-A-T, a mat. You need a mat to change. And a mat is this. It's motivation, it's ability, and it's a trigger. Now, motivation, if you're here today and you're in the room, you pretty much have the motivation, and maybe I hope you're getting a little bit from the sermon, and maybe in the life group video that's coming this week, you're going to get a little more motivation, but I'm pretty sure you have the motivation. By the way, I hope your life group is going well. We're hearing great reports. I was just over at Woody's on Friday's night, and I saw one of our life group hosts there, and they're saying, oh, this study is great. It's been the best so far for us. If you're not a part of life groups, not too late. Grab some materials, look up online, grab some people. You have the motivation. If you're in this room this morning, you have the motivation to grow spiritually. But what about ability? If you know how to read, raise your hand. Okay. So, maybe some of our young folks don't know how to read yet, but if you know how to listen, you have the ability. If you can read and you can listen, you have the ability. If you have a computer, a smartphone, a tablet, any sort of technological device, there are Bibles on there. There are people that will read the Bible for you inside of that little machine that you can listen to. You can plug it into your, your headphones. You can work out with it. You can do it in the car, on the Bluetooth. You can hear the word of God everywhere. You have the ability. I mean, you can even listen to Johnny Cash reading you the New Testament, and it's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> you go on YouTube, type it into Google, you will find it. It's awesome, and it kind of helps you engage the word in a new way. I bet you every one of you in this room today has a physical Bible that you could read. And if you don't, I will give you one today. Come find me afterwards. You have the ability. Unlike many people in Martin Luther's day that were uneducated at first, they didn't even have the Bible in their own language, we have the Bible in any language, any translation we want for free. And we've got technology. Man, the technology has come a long way since the printing press. We have motivation, we have ability, but you know what you need sometimes? You need a trigger. You need something to trigger that in you every day. And I'm telling you right now, the technology can serve you in this way. You can get an email, you can get a notification on your phone, you can get a text message, you can ask, you can go old school, and you can ask a fellow human being to hold you accountable. To hold you accountable to read the word. I'm thinking of all sorts of websites and apps. Go Tandem, Version, Daily Audio Bible, Bible Gateway, Bible Hub. Let's be friends on Facebook. I'm going to put them on there this week and you can check them out. 
There is technology everywhere to help us, to trigger. Motivation, ability, trigger. And you know what happens once you start doing it weekly, daily? You don't need that trigger anymore. It becomes a habit, and the habit becomes a trigger. And so I want to tell you a little bit of my own story of this question about growing spiritually. About a year ago, I was assessing my own life spiritually, my own spiritual growth. And in many ways, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but I wasn't growing spiritually. I sort of plateaued. I sort of stagnated. And I realized that I personally was not engaging the Word of God. Professionally, Pastor Hayes, he was interacting with the text and delivering sermons for you. But personally, I was not engaged. Michael Hayes, husband, father, son, friend, child of God. A good friend of mine is right there in the pew. He's been reading the Daily Audio Bible or hearing the Daily Audio Bible for about eight, nine years, I think it has been. He told me about the Daily Audio Bible. And I said, I'm going to do this. And I engaged the word of God every day since, receiving the word, reflecting upon the word, responding to the word for Michael Hayes. Not for Pastor Hayes, but for Michael Hayes. And I'm telling you, I have been growing. I talk about it more in the Life Group video this week, so I hope that you watch it. But in many ways, I've returned to a youthful part of my life when I was growing in the word long ago. And it's manifested in all sorts of ways, and I'd love to tell you all of them, but one of them I want to talk to you about, and it's quite humbling. As I've been reading the scriptures this past year, there is a wonderful, beautiful picture of the church. It's called the body of Christ. The unity that we have and the unity that we should yearn for and strive for and fight for, because when we are united as believers, the world sees the light of Jesus. God paints that picture beautiful picture in his word. And just because we got into some fights 500 years ago at the Reformation doesn't mean we can't work toward unity today. So this past year, I've been privileged and humbled to be able to meet with other Christian pastors in the city of Orange. We gathered together to pray. We gathered together to engage the word of God. And this past Thursday, I went down to Christ. Cathedral. You know where Christ Cathedral is? Used to be Crystal Cathedral. And as I'm driving over there, I'm thinking, here comes this Lutheran pastor being welcomed to a Catholic church that used to be a Dutch Reformed church. And there we gathered together these pastors, Lutheran, Baptist, Presbyterian, non-denominational, Catholic, and a bunch of other Christian pastors, men and women, different races and nations. And we were praying, and we were confessing our faith in the triune God. And together we prayed for our city, we prayed for you, we prayed for our churches, we prayed for unity, we prayed for our hospitals, we prayed for juvenile hall right across the street, we prayed for marriages, we prayed for families, we prayed for the lost, we prayed for that the light of Jesus Christ would shine through us as the church to this dark world. And as Pastor Tim and I, we were both the crying pastors, you know. <laughs> I had to admit I was overwhelmed and I shed a few tears. Because I was experiencing the Reformation. I was experiencing a Reformation in that very moment, much different than 500 years ago, but in its spirit in many ways. It made me think, what Reformation is coming not only for St. John's, not only for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but for the church universal. 
What reformation of unity can we work toward so that the light of Jesus can shine in the world in the darkness? I think we do well to go back to Luther's words and we come humbly before God and before Jesus, the living word, before the written word, and we say, we did nothing, but the word did everything. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.